I'm jumping in with a quick message that I've added to all HR Coffee Time episodes to let you know that my group programme, Inspiring HR, is back. In case you haven't heard of it before, it's an intensive six-week programme for mid and senior level HR and people professionals. So if you're an HR business partner, HR manager, head of HR or HR director, or the people equivalent, so a people business partner, people manager, head of people or people director, and you'd like to build your confidence, your credibility and your impact at work, Inspiring HR could be perfect for you. We get started on Wednesday the 5th of June 2024 when we'll be meeting up over Zoom for two hours every week. The group sessions are a blend of group coaching, training and facilitation. They're supportive, encouraging and practical and each week has a slightly different focus. So in week one, we look at setting yourself up for success. Week two is about boosting your confidence. Week three focuses on being strategic in your role. Week four is all about building key relationships. Week five takes a deep dive into influencing at a senior level and the final week looks at planning for the future. There's a link with the full details in the show notes for you or you can learn more by going to my website, Bright Sky Career Coaching, clicking on services and then clicking on Inspiring HR Group Programme. I would love to have you join us and to get to know you throughout the programme. But if you have any questions about Inspiring HR at all, please feel free to ask by getting in touch through the website and I would be very happy to answer them for you. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of the HR Coffee Time podcast. I'm your host, Faye Wallace. I'm a career coach and outplacement specialist with a background in HR, and I'm also the founder of Bright Sky Career Coaching. HR Coffee Time is here to help you have a successful and fulfilling HR career without working yourself into the ground. And in today's episode, I'm joined by HR professional and neurodiversity champion, Mel Francis. Mel explains what neurodiversity is, so what the word means, what the conditions that fall within it are, and she also shares details of fantastic resources to learn more about the strengths neurodiversity can bring to your organisation and strategies to make sure we're supporting and enabling neurodiverse talent to thrive. If you've been using your free or hardback copy of the HR Planner, you may have spotted that Neurodiversity Celebration Week is coming up, if you're listening to this in real time. If you're listening to it in the future, of course it may not be. It falls across the week of the 14th of March. So it's my hope that this episode, combined with the Planner, will help to build your confidence when it comes to understanding and supporting neurodiversity, and that it can be a launch pad for sparking ideas and initiatives that you might want to start putting in place. If you're new to the podcast and haven't heard of the HR Planner before, I'll pop a link to it in the show notes for you so that you can learn more about it and download it if you'd like to. But for now, let's move on to meet Mel and hear what she has to say. So welcome to the show, Mel. It is wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much, Faye. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you. I'm a big fan of the HR Coffee Time podcast, so it was a pleasure to to be asked to join you. 
Oh, that's really kind of you to say. I'm so pleased that you like the podcast. And I'm going to dive straight into the questions so that we can really get our teeth stuck into this brilliant topic. And the very first thing that I would like to ask you is if you could just explain exactly what the word neurodiversity means. Sure. I'm going to use a really simple explanation because neurodiversity, if you break it down, your neuros in your brain are diverse they're different. And that is the simplistic term of, or definition of neurodiversity. And it is really important that we appreciate that our brains all differ. They're all unique. If you think of our brains like a human fingerprint, that just helps to give you that context. Now, the term neurodiversity is an umbrella term which captures all of the neurodiverse conditions. And it was a phrase that was, or a word that was coined by a lady called Judy Singer, who's an amazing specialist in neurodiversity and continues to, to campaign for increasing awareness of neurodiversity. So it was something that she developed, but has certainly been adopted and evolved during the course of since the 80s actually. So has the term neurodiversity been around since the 80s? Yeah. Wow. Yeah it has but I think in our sphere certainly in the HR world it's something that has only really from my perspective and this may just because my awareness came in at this point but certainly in the last five to ten years it's becoming more more prevalent, more known, more talked about but we've still got a way to go but certainly the phrase neurodiversity or the word neurodiversity has been around for a lot longer than we've known it. Gosh, do you know what? I really hadn't realised that because it's not a term that I had come across probably until relatively recently, definitely within the past few years. So I thought maybe it was new, but clearly it's just new to maybe the business world or, or the HR community. Yeah, and beyond actually. You know, I have friends who say I've never heard of that phrase, but I know dyslexia or I know autism I just had never realized that there was a a word that you know collectively described all of those conditions and actually as you've just touched on dyslexia it would be really helpful to know so obviously neurodiversity is about the fact that um, all of our brains are slightly different and it's a term that encapsulates all of these different conditions. Would you mind just running through some examples of what those conditions are? So you mentioned dyslexia. I think you mentioned one other, sorry, but it's not logged in my brain. (laughs) If you could talk us through all of them, that would be great. Yeah, of course. There are a number of conditions that are under the neurodiversity umbrella, and I'll start with dyslexia. So dyslexia is one that I think a lot of us have some experience of. I think when, when I was at school, for example, there was somebody who was dyslexic, and that was known and it was understood, but we didn't really know to, or talk about things like ADHD or autism, etc. But so dyslexia is a neurodiverse condition which can cause problems with reading, writing and spelling. Linked to that, or is with rather than words, there's a condition called dyscalculia, which is where an individual will have a difficulty with, with mathematics and arithmetical skills. So those with dyscalculia might have difficulty understanding simple number concepts or lack an intuitive grasp of numbers. And they might have problems learning number facts and procedures. And that might extend to things like following a timetable, following formulas, etc. would be a real difficulty for somebody with dyscalculia. 
Another condition is developmental coordination disorder, which is also known as dyspraxia. So dyspraxia is a condition that affects our fine and or gross motor coordination. And it's in children and adults, as all of the neurodiverse conditions are. And it may also affect speech. So somebody with dyspraxia might be seen or assumed to be quite clumsy because their gross motor skills mean that you know they're falling over or bumping into things or lack a spatial awareness, etc. But it can also affect somebody's fine motor skills. So your ability to hold a pen or to write neatly, etc., might be an indication of dyspraxia. It may also affect speech. Another condition is developmental language disorder, which is a type of speech, language and communication need. And this is where the individual might have difficulty talking and understanding language. So that's um, DLD, developmental language disorder. Autistic spectrum disorder is another condition that a lot of people may have personal experience of or know somebody with autism. It's also probably one of the most misunderstood neurodiverse conditions. When you ask people to give their version of autistic spectrum disorder, they'll talk about somebody that can't make eye contact, really socially awkward, really quiet, you know, and that's just one element of autistic spectrum disorder. But we'll talk about that in a bit more detail. Autistic spectrum disorder also encompasses Asperger's, which used to be considered a different condition, but is now under that umbrella of autistic spectrum disorder. It's also one of those terms that some people love, some people don't. And, you know, it it may come up that people describe themselves as having Asperger's, or they may describe themselves as having autism. And I think, you know, that respect of how people wish to be described is really important. And again, we can talk about that. Another condition is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or ADHD. So again, I think our knowledge of this condition is increasing, but it's a condition that affects people's behavior. So those with ADHD can seem restless. They might have trouble concentrating and they might act on impulse. And then finally, I will include Tourette's syndrome, which again is this debate, is Tourette's syndrome a neurodiverse condition or not? I'm I'm saying yes in that it causes a person to make involuntary sounds and movements called tics. And I think that Tourette's is a really good example to pick up on really the breadth of neurodiverse conditions and the individuality of each of them in the way in which they will affect somebody. Because, you know, we've all seen the documentaries about the person with Tourette's that you know, have these expletive outbursts in really inappropriate places, etc., and how embarrassing it is. And, you know, that's just one element of Tourette's. And the reason why I picked that out is because there was a report by the Institute of Leadership and Management that was published last year. And shockingly, what this report told us is that of those surveyed, 50% would not employ somebody with a neurodiverse condition. That doubled for those with Tourette's syndrome. So really, you know, this awareness and knowledge of neurodiverse conditions is absolutely essential for all of us. Wonderful. Thank you so much for talking us through all of those different conditions. I know that I hadn't fully appreciated that neurodiversity encompassed actually so many different things. And 
both you and I do have a real interest in this subject and I've really admired the passion in you and your real commitment to actually spreading the word about neurodiversity and trying to increase awareness and knowledge when it comes to it. Before we started recording this, I've been sort of binge listening to and binge watching the podcasts and the webinars that you've been doing. So I I think it's wonderful that you're so vocal and helpful when it comes to this area. And I'm really grateful that you agreed to come on today to talk about it and to share your experiences. So thank you. No, thank you, Faye. You know, it it is something that I'm I'm very passionate about. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, I'm personally driven to make the world a better place for when my son enters it, hopefully in the next four years or so. But also just because the more that I've increased my awareness, the more I really appreciate the brilliance of neurodiverse talent. And as an HR profession, I didn't feel like we were talking about it enough or understanding it enough. And I didn't understand why we weren't. So I just took it upon myself to help in you know, the little way that I can to increase awareness of neurodiversity to lead to the appreciation of the brilliance of neurodiverse talent for us as HR professionals. Well, it's really inspiring to see you in action, Mel. I think it's been helpful for me in lots of different ways, but I think both you and I have got an interest in this. Our interest has been sparked initially because we have children who are neurodiverse. So you just mentioned your son, well, my youngest son, Harry, he has dyslexia. And actually, as you were (laughs) talking through the different conditions that sort of sit within neurodiversity, from when he was very little, there have been lots of questions around actually which conditions may he or may he not have. So initially, it was thought that he had dyspraxia. There's also wondered if there have been some language challenges at various points. And what having him go through various screenings and assessments has really made me realise is something that you've already mentioned, the fact that actually for each individual, their experience is so unique. Before Harry had his diagnosis of dyslexia, I had really just thought dyslexia meant it was really hard to read or it was harder to read than it may be for someone who's neurotypical and also that spelling's difficult so in my mind that's what I thought dyslexia was it's only from having this really comprehensive report that you realize oh my gosh actually it means so much more than that because Harry's actually always been a very fluent reader reading's not been hard spelling is incredibly difficult but actually it's other things as well are referred to as executive functions things like his working memory so if if you fire loads of instructions at him at once it's totally overwhelming he cannot follow any of them but if you give him an instruction one at a time and give him you know a space in between to do that he's perfectly capable of doing that so again that's not necessarily something that's going to go away when he's an adult so for me I I haven't been able to help feeling really worried and anxious about what's going to happen when he's an adult and entering the workplace because I know how competitive it can be to get into certain roles and operate effectively at work as someone who you know academically I went through the traditional routes with uh, school and university I'm not dyslexic I haven't had that challenge so I think gosh I know how competitive and tough it can be and how judgmental people can be like oh gosh what's going to happen but 
But rather than just worrying about it, what you've really shown me is, well, you know what, actually, we and everyone listening to this who works in HR, we are perfectly placed to actually be able to take these worries away and to be able to support, as you said, this incredible talent that actually exists but by making our workplaces more inclusive, really allowing and enabling that talent to thrive and to be able to benefit from it. Because as you said in a webinar that I watched you do for Every Mind at Work, which I'll link to and I'd really recommend everybody watches because it was brilliant. I know that you talk about all of us. We have our own strengths and we have our own struggles. And it would be really easy for us just to focus on the struggles, like I mentioned with Harry, you know, the spelling and the finding it hard to follow lots and lots of instructions at once. But actually, there will be huge strengths that each person has as well that the organisation can benefit from. Absolutely. And I think what you've what you've touched on is is a really important point, right? So Harry can come into the workplace and say to a future employer, I'm brilliant for your job, just so you know, I have some issue with having lots of instructions so it'd be much easier if you could chunk it down for me plus my spelling might be a bit off so could I please have you know a software package that will help me to deal with that so you know being presented with that as an HR professional should be totally normal totally accepted and you know appreciative of Harry and his abilities in the role and I think you know there is such a positive benefit to Harry knowing what his challenges are and what his strengths are at an early age and hopefully he will take that through with him I know for example my son Toby he's now had his diagnosis for three years and you know at the point at which he was diagnosed it was just such a shock of oh my god my kid's got autism what's autism like the only experience I had of autism was a child in his class who was really disruptive and who really needed you know one-to-one TA support who whose strengths were kind of swallowed by the number of struggles but what I've learned through my my research and my learning which was really about trying to understand Toby is this individual element and how important it is to recognize the strengths and the challenges. So we call this the spiky profile. So where are the spikes in the profile? And what do they mean? And what are what? Do, how does that play out in the workplace or in life? You know. And so being able to identify those is really important. I will at this point signpost you as a parent to a website which is by Professor Amanda Kirby, who is my you know, my, my teacher in all things neurodiversity, she's absolutely brilliant. And she is the medic, she's a professor, she's a researcher, etc. And she's really, really active on LinkedIn. So please follow her. But she also runs a company called Do It Solutions. And they have created a number of tools that help you to determine whether or not the strengths and struggles you have may be related to a neurodiverse condition. So on their website, which is called Do It Solutions, they have um, tools for kids, so key stage one, two, and three, but also a workplace plus screening tool, um, which is for us in the workplace, and also they've got a couple of dyslexia tools on there. So at the moment, I know there was this week something that came out, I live in Oxfordshire, there was something that says that the wait list in Oxfordshire for children to 
have their screening and diagnosis for neurodiverse conditions is sitting at three years, which is just shocking. So, you know, if you recognize that there are strengths and struggles, we'll probably really see more of the struggles in your kids, then I definitely would recommend that you spend $7.99 on this screening tool and then take it into school and take it to the SEN coordinator, the special education needs coordinator, and show it to them so that they can see that your child has particular struggles that are coming through on this assessment and then start to help to to support them. Now, they'll say it's not a diagnosis. We can't take that through to the EHCP process, which is the process to determine whether or not your child needs specific additional support in school. But it's enough for them to be able to know that. Likewise, the Workplace Plus screener, I would argue, is enough for us in the workplace to be able to determine where the strengths and struggles of individuals are and then put in place the tools and the support to enable them to really thrive. And that is individual. You know, what I need is going to be different to what you need, to what the next person needs. But having that appreciation of, okay, I can see it would be better for you not to have your camera on when we're on these Zoom meetings because, for example, somebody with ADHD, you're going to feel really fidgety. And so that's fine. You know, let's put it out there. It's okay for you to turn your camera off if you need to be up and running and, you know, walking around or you're better off on the move. So from what you and I have been discussing, it's clear that this is both something, you know, this is something that's very close to our heart. And so that we would love organisations to be more inclusive because we can see the impact it's going to have on people who are very close to us and, and who we love dearly. But actually, this isn't just about doing the right thing, is it? There's actually some very strong business reasons that as HR practitioners, hopefully everyone should be thinking about how they can make their workplace more inclusive as far as neurodiversity is concerned. So it would be great if you could just talk us through some of those. Yeah, sure. So the really interesting statistic in 2021, the number of people who have a job title including diversity and inclusion increased by 114%. That's a lot of us who have responsibility for diversity and inclusion. However, the number of diversity and inclusion strategies that include neurodiversity specifically has not gone up by 114%. So we've got a real opportunity to to really change the world here and really signpost that we in our positions, in our organisations are moving towards being neuroinclusive. And I would say that's a great starting point. You don't need to be all the way along. You don't need to be right there, everything's neuroinclusive. But I think what we can do is start by saying we are striving to be neuroinclusive and then really try and do that. You know, understand what neurodiversity is, what the neurodiverse conditions are, what those strengths and struggles might be, how important it is to ensure that you have an individual sense of a neurodiverse condition, what adjustments might somebody need for their condition. You know, access to work is a brilliant tool that I just don't think we utilize enough, but you know, the funding is there, the support is there to enable us to implement, for example, you know, systems and software to help somebody to really be their best to, to thrive within the organization. 
So I would suggest that you have an opportunity to raise awareness of neurodiversity in your workplace. I'm doing that through running lunch and learn sessions with lots of organizations. So it's just an hour of this is neurodiversity. These are the conditions. These are the types of traits that we might see. But appreciating that the individual element is so important and actually the fact that these neurodiverse conditions will coexist. So somebody who has some traits of dyslexia might also have traits of autism or ADHD, etc. But they may not reach the, the line of diagnosis for each of those conditions, which doesn't minimize your requirements to ensure that they are adequately supported in the workplace. So if people need a business case to be able to take forward, let me tell you that neurodiversity is, is classed as a disability under the Equality Act. There is some really interesting case law for all of you fellow case law geeks out there, including relatively recent one from 2019, which is um, Sherborne versus Empower, just to cite that case. And in that case, the individual Sherborne did not have a diagnosis of his neurodiverse condition, but the occupational health provider had suggested there may be neurodiverse traits, which the manager decided to disregard. And he successfully claimed um, disability discrimination and unfair dismissal. So, you know, there are implications for ignoring or not supporting individuals who are neurodiverse in the same way that you would find that with other disabilities and other protected characteristics. So that's our business case. The other business case is that having diversity of thought and diverse brains in the workplace means you have much more creativity and much more success in really building your business and increasing your revenues, et cetera. And there's lots of research around what the, just trying to think of his name, Matthew Syed, sorry. Matthew Syed recently wrote a book called Rebel Ideas. And his book is based about cognitive diversity, which is essentially neurodiversity. But if your business prefers to call it cognitive diversity, I am all for it. The, the, you know, the principle is still the same. That diversity of thought, that diverse minds really does bring brilliance into an organisation. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. That's brilliant. And yes, I have Matthew Syed's book right next to me at bed. I'm about halfway through it at the moment. And it's a fantastic read. I definitely recommend that to anyone listening. So hopefully everyone listening is thinking, yes, this is something that I really want to get behind and to make sure that we do have a really inclusive organisation. So what are some practical things that they could be doing? And also, what are the key points within the employee life cycle that they should be thinking about? I think it's great to look at each of the stages of the employee life cycle, actually, Faye, because there's... If you shine your neurodiversity lens on anything that you're dealing with, you're going to have a really different perspective on that. And you know, now I'm 25 years into my HR career. If I could go back and be in the situation, some of the situations that I was in previously and shine the neurodiversity lens on that, I would have done things really differently in some of the cases, in especially the employee relation, relations cases that I was supporting. So... If we start at the beginning of the performance of the employee life cycle, so the very point of trying to attract people 
as I said earlier, by saying we are neuroinclusive or striving to be neuroinclusive, there's a tallow survey from 2021 that says that Gen Zers are more likely to apply to an organization that has been explicit about being neuroinclusive. So that's one positive that you know speaks for itself. But then through the recruitment process, making sure that you're really tailoring your recruitment to the individuals. So for example, some who are neurodiverse will really struggle if you don't have closing dates on your applications. So by having that date, it gives them something to work towards. By having this open, oh, we don't have a closing date, we're just reviewing the applications as they come in, some people will be really put off by that and think, well, there's no point in me going for it. They clearly will just disregard my application, etc. So having closing dates is really positive. Making sure that your job description, your job advert are just plain English describing the job. You know, sometimes we can be really guilty of, of writing our own book in a job description and it's just gone away from describing what the actual job is. Because again, some who are neurodiverse will look to meet all of the criteria before they apply for a role. And that's similar with women as well. We are more likely to only apply if we meet most of the or all of the criteria. So being clear on the contents of your job description, then through the actual recruitment process, rather than asking what adjustments do you need, ask the question, what can I do to make this the best possible experience for you? And that just really reframes that scenario and it helps people to think about what they might need rather than feeling like they're being a pain by asking for a room that's not noisy or that the lights are too bright, et cetera, et cetera. And then in the workplace, those types of situations, you know, some people might not want to sit in a thoroughfare or you know, next to the kitchen because of the smells from the microwave, which are too much for them because of the high sensitivity or chunking down information in meetings or going last round the table you know those types of things are really important for somebody to be able to be their best similarly in performance management and development opportunities giving somebody the real opportunity to shine on projects or looking at their strengths and utilizing those on various activities around the business is a real gift actually so but that really relies on somebody feeling confident to be able to share their strengths and struggles and having a culture that genuinely responds to that. So having that awareness, normalizing conversation about neurodiverse conditions, appreciating the brilliance of neurodiverse talent openly is really going to help you to get the most out of all of your workforce, not just those who are neurodivergent, which is one in five of us, we think. But that's just the ones who meet the line for the diagnosis. I'm sure there are many more of us who haven't met the line, but have got particular strengths and struggles in each of those those traits. It's so interesting hearing you talk all that through because these aren't huge, expensive, difficult, complicated changes to be making. They're actually really simple. And like you were saying, they will often benefit lots of people. I have a future episode that I'm planning on 
putting out. I haven't recorded it yet. It's just written down on lots of scrappy notes all over my desk at the moment, where I'm going to be talking about the idea of creating personal user manuals. I don't know. I don't know if this is something you've come across before, but the idea is that each member in a team actually sits down and creates a user manual for themselves so that their colleagues get to know them and understand their working preferences, their strengths, the things they like, the things they don't like, potentially what their career ambitions are. Instead of us all just guessing or inferring or taking a really long time to figure out the best way of working with our colleagues and and really knowing who they are and what they want. So actually, a lot of what you've just said in, you know, encouraging people to feel the trust is there to be open as to what their strengths and struggles are. Well, yes, of course, that's going to benefit anyone who's neurodiverse, but actually, that's going to benefit everybody. Yeah, and that's part of the normalisation. You know, if I talk, if we all talk about our strengths and struggles, it doesn't mean, you know, the neurodivergents are talking about their strengths and struggles. It means we're, you know, we're all doing it. So it's not singling people out. It's actually building a culture of openness and support and appreciation of each other's strengths and struggles. Yeah, so thank you again for sharing all of that. And I know that you are officially a neurodiversity champion. So I wondered if you would be happy just to share a little bit about that, you know, so for anyone who's listening, if they're thinking, should we have neurodiversity champions? Should I be a neurodiversity champion? What is a neurodiversity champion? Just so that everyone can get a bit more of a feel for the concept. Sure. So if we say officially, I think probably self-proclaimed is probably more accurate. (laughs) I have, though, a qualification in neurodiversity, which I did attend a programme which was taught by Professor Amanda Kirby. So you can you can appreciate why I hold her in such high esteem. So I hold a level four qualification in, in neurodiversity in the workplace, which is invaluable. So in terms of being a neurodiversity champion, you don't necessarily have to have the qualification. I think you just have to have the real drive to increase awareness, which starts with you really increasing your own awareness and your own knowledge and then sharing it with others. And I think that's as complicated as being as a neurodiversity champion needs to be. You know, you be the person in your organisation who really wants to make that difference is just adding your voice to such an amazing cause and process and it's it's so rewarding to be able to make that difference that's great to know and I I didn't realize that there is actually a specific qualification so I will look that up and I'll link to it in the show notes so actually for anyone who's listening right now I'm thinking oh no I haven't got a pen to write down all of this fantastic stuff that Mel is sharing don't worry in the show notes which you can find on your phone just by tapping to see all of the details for this episode or you can find on my website, Bright Sky Career Coaching, there'll be links to everything that Mel's talked about today. So as you know, at the end of every interview that I do for the podcast for HR Coffee Time, I ask the wonderful guest I have in front of me if they're happy to share a book recommendation with the listeners. Brilliant. So it's my pleasure to recommend the book called Neurodiversity at Work, which was published last year, was written by Professor Amanda Kirby, because I haven't mentioned her enough today, and the brilliant Theo Smith, who is another really 
great neurodiversity champion. He has ADHD. He works in the recruitment space. He is full of energy and full of amazingness. So uh, their book is almost the Bible for HR professionals when thinking or having anything to do with neurodiversity at work. So if you have a line manager, if you go to work, then basically buy this book because it's a it's a really great read. Brilliant. I'm going to have to add that to my giant pile of books that I now have stacking up after all of these interviews. Thank you, Mel. And as we wrap up today, you share so many brilliant resources on LinkedIn. They're absolutely fantastic. I was looking at your profile earlier today in preparation for our chat, and I just couldn't believe I hadn't actually realised how much you've shared and how much you've done to really promote awareness in this space. So if people would like to connect with you on LinkedIn, is that okay? Are you happy for people to reach out? Yeah, please do. Please do. The more the merrier. It would be lovely to connect with people. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. I will share the link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes as well. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking to you and I hope that we get to catch up again soon. So do I, Faith. Thank you so much. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I'd like to say a big thank you to listener Helen, who got in touch to suggest that I invite Mel on the show after hearing her speak and seeing her work. If you have a topic you'd like me to cover or you know of a potential guest who you think would be brilliant to have on the podcast, I would love to hear from you. This podcast is for you, so it's really important to me that the topics covered are as relevant and helpful for you as possible. So if there is anyone you think I should invite on or there is a topic that you would like me to go into in detail, please do let me know. You can always reach me on LinkedIn. I'm at Faye Wallace, or you can drop me an email at hello at brightskycareercoaching.co.uk. Thank you so much. And I will be back again next week with the next episode.